Hello, this is Wayne Highlander. I'm National Sales Manager Bone Adhesives. And I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. Hey, Rob, how you doing today? Fantastic, Wayne. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Where you at today, Rob? Um, home. Just got back from a training session out in Cincinnati. Last one of the year, so. Cincinnati. So I'm home. This I'm home today. The Queen City. Beautiful place. Why do they call it the Queen City? Uh, it must be something because it's on the river, I would imagine. Um, and uh, gosh, it's, it's changed so much over the years. Uh, when I was, uh, the, I was in Cincinnati in, let me think about this, 1973. And uh, rough, rough, <laughs> rough place, man. But uh, gosh, you go back there now. Were you about 10 years old then? 13. Yeah, 13. But uh, really, be I love I love the downtown in Cincinnati. They fixed it up. There's a lot of great restaurants there now. It's a really cool vibe and uh, kind of uh, a little uh, unique uh, boutique stores and stuff. So yeah, cool place. Got a lot of a lot of good floor guys there. That's a really good place to be a floor man, by the way, Cincinnati. There's some damn good floor guys there. How old are you? 59. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Nice. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the math works. I thought I was old. I thought I was older than you for some reason. Yeah. Well, you can you probably I, look it. I guess it's the hair. Yeah. 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 It's the hair. That's why. I told yeah. my mother as Alzheimer's, and I was out there in California last week with her, and uh, she asked me if I was sixty-five years old yet. <laughs> no kidding. And she also asked me if, uh, if me and Judy were married. And I said, yes, Peggy. I said, you were, you were at our wedding. It was years ago. And she goes, well, why are you always away? I said, because of my job. I'm on, the, I'm on the road a lot. So, and then she asked me if I want ice cream and cookies about 20 times. So I uh, caved in and had some ice cream and cookies. I figured you would. Today, we're going to talk about top coats. Top coats is where the, where the, where you, where the check, uh, where you get paid. I mean, this is uh, the all-important thing, man. I, I've said before, if you have a floor-of-the-year install, fantastic sand job, but you don't nail it on that top coat, you're probably not going to get paid. So, um, you know, we talk about delegating and, uh, your, in your business, uh, and um, the this was the hardest thing for me to give away. This was the hardest part of the job to delegate and let other people do is the top coat. You know, um, we talk about how important the steps are and, and uh, every little thing, every touch, you know, everything matters on a top coat. And uh, so I had a death grip on that T-bar and it was really hard for me to let it go to, to my brothers and the other employees because uh, I was like a mother on the first day of school. You know, I just didn't trust anybody. Not that I didn't trust that they wouldn't do it right. I, I just felt like it had to be me. I would, if I wasn't there, I'd worry more than if I, I guess if I wasn't there, I'd worry more than if I was there. So um, a lot goes into a top coat. And um, I will say I, um, I'll kind of talk about how I approach a top coat. And it starts way before the, the day that I'm going to go in there and, and coat the floor. And, and for me, it starts with the applicators. Uh, I, whether I'm going to T-bar the job or roll the job, I want to make sure that uh, my applicators, I mean, if there's debris, it's going to come from one of the three places. I've said that before, from myself, from the job site that I didn't clean well enough, or my applicators. So 
taking care of the applicators, you know, it takes a lot out of the uh, out of the equation of what can go wrong. And if it's a if it's a T bar, it's a brand new T bar. I don't like brand new T bars uh, on a top coat. So I would uh, I'd soak it in water, and I would clean it many many times, two or three, four times before I actually use it on a job. And the reason I like to soak it in water because the bristles become softer. So when you're 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 uh, feathering away from you or you're bringing it towards you, and that when you're setting it down, that that touch, I think. Uh, if the bristles are nice and soft, I think it just does a better job of, of kissing that floor. You're a T-bar guy, uh, Rob, so I know that uh, that uh, you've T-barred a ton of floors. And um, I don't know how you guys approached it, but uh, we, we, we had our own applicator container for every, for every uh, product we were using. And, uh, you know, I, and if I had a T-bar that was broken in I had been using, I'd still, I'd run my hands over it to feel that I didn't have any, any hard spots at all. Um, and even the, uh, the, the actual T-bar itself, uh, the, back in the old days, we used to put birdshot in them for more weight, um, for two reasons. Yeah, I would add more weight. Plus it was birdshot and that was always cool because it was birdshot. Just cause you could say, just so you could say to people that I put birdshot in there. I think that was 50% of the reasons why we did it. But as the, uh. As finishes change. You know, you do make a good point there, and it's one that we really talk about a lot in the schools, is the weight of your T-bar. You have to know what weight of the T-bar goes with the finish that you're using. And the other thing is, uh, what we try to tell people, don't adjust the weight of your T-bar to get proper coverage rates. Adjust the speed on which you're walking. The faster you're going, the heavier you're going to lay it. The slower you go, the lighter you're going to lay it. That's really the key, I think, to using the T-bar. It's not, you know, you know, with the Bona products, a heavyweight T-bar should really only be used with oil-based products. The lightweight T-bar is the one we want to be using with the water-based products. Um, back in the old days, I mean, when I was a, when I was a kid and I start, first started coding, like at, at lunchtime, you know, if I was just, you know, sitting down eating lunch on a job, I would sometimes take the T-bar and extend it out, extend my, my forearm out straight, and see how long I can hold that T-bar out like that. To kind of build up those muscles from when I'm reaching out there with that T-bar. And um, once again, Wayne gets to talk about how strong he is. I love this. <laughs> Even during lunches. You wouldn't just sit and eat lunch and read the paper. You were lifting weights while you were eating lunch. See, people are going to want to beat me up now when they see me and challenge me. Just say, hey, Big Al. That's what I think we're going to start calling you, Big Al. <laughs> so... So many steps go into this. Even the shoes that you're wearing, you know, I, I wear shoes that, that are flat and don't have a lot of um, texture or grip to them. Uh, so, you know, and there's, there's times when you are walking in the finish intentionally, uh, sometimes unintentionally. But uh, so I, I had a pair of coating shoes I kept in a Ziploc bag in the van, uh, ones that would slip off and on really easy. And um, the path to the job, you know, even the wind outside, I mean, you know, if it's, a, if it's a really windy day, how is it going to exit the house? All those things, all those variables uh, come into play um, because, man, it, to me, it, that that's where, you know, you're going to get paid or not. So the vacuums, uh, changing the filters on the vacuum bags and changing the, changing the, the, the bags themselves, looking at the airflow in the house, even the refrigerator. If we're coating the kitchen, 
uh, I'd reach inside that refrigerator and turn, the, turn it down so you don't get that blast of air uh, turning, uh, coming on right, right as you're coating. You know, one of the things we used to do, too, because, um, you know, where we lived, there's a lot of forced hot air, hot air heating systems. So while we were vacuuming and tacking and getting ready to prep for that final coat, I would always turn the thermostat way up, you know, turn it up to 75, whatever. And then as we started coating, I would turn it down to about 68, 66, 68. So that way I knew that I had a good two hours of working time that that um, that heater wouldn't kick on and start, you know. I was never afraid of it blowing out dust because we always did a good job of cleaning all that, but I didn't want that heat, that hot air heat blowing across the floor before she had time to flow and level out. Didn't want it to flash over. But I will make this recommendation. Before you start farting around with somebody's thermostat, man, you better... You're going to tell people what you're doing because we had done that one time and this guy just flipped because I had messed with his thermostat. I mean, he he wouldn't talk to me the rest of the job, even when I was trying to explain to him um, exactly, exactly why I had to do it. So I was telling this story in a, a class and they all started laughing because, you know, all of my stories are from baby boomer old old guy stories and this guy says can i tell a new version of that story i said yeah sure he goes i did the same thing we turned it up and then i was going to turn it down well the guy um could control his thermostat through his phone so he saw somebody kept messing around with his thermostat and he kept changing it back while the guy was trying to do the work and everything so it's a conversation you need to have with that homeowner no question um, the other, the other thing is, is when we get close to the, the, you know, we've done our vacuuming, we tack the floor and, uh, some people say, well, how many times do you vacuum the floor? And the answer to me is until you don't, until it's done, you don't need to anymore. It might be one or two or three times, uh, and I'll tack the floor over and over again, uh, to get it ready for the job. And, um, uh, and then the, the conversation with the cutting guy. You know, that he's matching the cadence of the T-bar guy, that he's not cutting in too far ahead, and that he's matching the film layer, the thickness, so that everything everything is even, everything it jives. I always had my T my cutting guy stay behind me. I never wanted him cutting ahead. I always had him stay behind me and just take out everything small that, you know, the T-bar really couldn't get, any turn marks that I might have left. Or, but I was always more comfortable with that guy cutting behind me rather than out ahead of me and then jumping back and forth, you know? You know, that's a great point, Rob. And for me, it depended on the job. There were times when I wanted the guy to come behind me and sometimes in front of me, depending on how it was drying. And uh, so the communication with you and the, and the cutting guy is huge. Man, a good cutting guy is really an asset on the job. Um, it had to be tough. It had to be tough for you, though, huh? Yeah, when it came being to being the best cutting guy and the best guy T barn or rolling, you know, where where do you put yourself in a situation like that? It's to be like uh, Leonardo da Vinci's helper, and no one ever knows his name. <laughs> do your brothers do your brothers listen to these podcasts? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is this is all traumatic. I can't yeah. imagine why. Yeah, this just brings back bad <laughs> memories. This is just uh, right. They're like Patton. We're we're not going to pay for that real estate twice. Yeah, only need to do that one time. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of guys that uh, went to World War II. They probably watched World War II movies shortly after that. So I think one day they may eventually. Um, <laughs> timing. If you're got a, if you're working around a kitchen island. And, uh, you know, timing that to where, you know, you can or even sometimes work in both sides of a room that you have to come down the middle of the room to come, come out of hallway and uh, where, you know, working both sides of the room man, is, is critical. So everything you could put on your side of the equation matters. Every single little bit of it does, you know, acclimating the finish. So um, or even even coding at certain times of day or evening. So you have the conditions on your side. There's a lot of work that goes into me, that goes into a, a guy that's a good finisher. And it's a special touch, and everybody's got their own way of doing it, and guys that are good finishers are, are um, man, um, they're unique guys. You know, they're, everybody's got their own way of doing things. And uh, uh, but that top coat, everything you can put on your side of the equation is so important. That's funny you said that because my old partner, Pete, he didn't want me in the room when he was cleaning. He he never thought that I cleaned enough. Where this guy was on top of everything, top of door jams, window window casings, fans. Uh, he just would go crazy. And even with the dust containment systems and everything that we have now, he would still he still cleans like that. Even you know could be old dust that's floating around, and might have got you know, wrestled up because of everybody moving around and working and the machines and all the, you know, airflow and things like that. So you just can't clean enough for before that final coat goes down. It's funny because the, the longer I was in the trade, um, when I would go to do a final on a, say, a 3,000 square foot job, and you know, the last day you're probably cleaning up your, your trash on the job, you're bringing out tools, you're doing all the little miscellaneous stuff, getting your stuff off of the job. I, I would put it in my mind that I wasn't even there to coat the floor. I'm there to clean up the job site. I'm there to organize my tools, get the van organized, clean the house, vacuum everything pristine before I would even let myself think about coating the floor. Um, so, and then if it's a big job, especially, and you're working by yourself, to me, I, I comp- compartmentalize it. I just think I've got this 400 square foot room to do, and then I got that kitchen to do. And then I've got that bedroom to do. Instead of thinking about the whole 3,000 square feet, I just want to master that one room before I go on to the next one. And again, I mean, even, you know, you make fun of me sometimes if we're wearing long sleeve shirts and, and hair protection on the job. But, but you know, I'm charging a lot of money for this job. And I, I, I want it to be, I'm not worried. I don't even care about their expectations, to be honest with you. It's my expectations. And I know a lot of guys out there uh, feel the same way when, you, you know, if you get a check from the homeowner, but you're not happy with the job, yeah, that's a bad feeling to me. Um, and many times, I, I well, not many times because, you know, how good I am, but there have been times that I, <laughs> the homeowner says, thank you, Wayne, the job looks great, give me the check, and I'm not, I'm not satisfied, and I'll put another coat on the floor. I'm in this to make money, no question about it. Uh, no question about it, but I, my, I feel like if I take care of business, my name and my reputation will get me that next job. 
Because as I've said before, if I finish this job and I did not get a referral on this job, even though they paid me and whatever, I'm not, to me it was a bust. Uh, I, I want the referrals. I want their friend's job. I don't do this floor necessary for them is I want their friend's floors. And uh, I want them to be able to say, yeah, man, we, you know, I want them to be proud of that. They made the decision to hire us and, and we justified that decision because we knocked it out of the park. You know, it's one of the things that we just stress so much in the schools is everything that we do, we want to become the guy. So when that homeowner is talking to whoever, friends, family, co-workers, and somebody mentions that they're thinking of having their floors done, the first thing they're going to say is, I got a guy. And that's referral. Referral money isn't how much. Referral money is when can you get in here and get this done. And that's the whole thing that you're building on. That whole final coat is the referral and the reputation. And you say, when you said building on, um, it's the coat. It's everything that leads up to the to that final coat that's so important. You know, your, how you abrade the floor, you know, for swirl marks and stuff like that, and how you set this coat up by the coat you did ahead of time. That you know, some guys will say, "Well, it's just a seal coat; doesn't matter. I'll catch it on the next one." And to me, if you treat every every coat like it's a finished coat, then by the time you get to that finished coat, I mean, you know, it's just like sanding. If you do all your steps exactly the right way and not having to go back and, and, and worry about, well, we'll catch it because we missed it on this one, we'll get on the next one. Uh, I don't want to fight that job. Uh, I want to be able to control that job and get it, it you know, dialed in so every step I do complements the step I'm going to do next. And um, for the finish coach, you almost have to be, to me, um, almost a fanatic about it. Guys that are really good about it, I mean, you have to be almost OC, OCD about it. And, um, and, and, and the payoff is, I mean, there's nothing like walking into a floor that you flat out nailed it. I mean, you walk into a floor and you look at your sanding and your sanding is flawless and that floor is flat and there's no dish out of the grain and that stain is stunning. And, and you look at those coats and they're, they're perfection. And, um, I mean, to me, that's why you do it. That passion that to, to see that floor the next day and to see that homeowner that you blew their mind. And everybody's been there before when you come into, and these are my favorite type of floors. You come into, let's say it's an old white oak floor and it's it's dirty and it looks like it's a stain. It may sand out, it may not, you know, and there's that's rough looking and it's beat up and, and you put that sander on it. And after that first pass, you know, okay, I, I, I'm going to blow their mind right now. This floor is going to be stunning when it's done. And uh, there's not a greater feeling. That's, to me, in this industry, I mean, that's pretty good stuff, man. That's the that's the juice of it. That's what so many guys get. That's the whole that's the whole craftsman thing. This isn't a service industry. And you've heard us say this a thousand times on the podcast is what we we don't perform a service, we perform a craft. And like you said, a craftsman when he looks steps back and he looks at that final coat, yeah, the check is one thing, but also that satisfaction of just nailing it, hitting it out of the park. Did when you were contracting, I, I think it probably wasn't out there. Did you ever use that traffic natural? Oh yes, was, of course. When you were contracting, you oh absolutely, absolutely. Because to me, that is that is the prettiest finish I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. When that looks right, when you when you and it's personally, I mean, I love showing it to schools because it's just so easy to work with, but. The way that that finish looks, 
I would, uh, that would be, if I was still out there contracting full time, that's the one I would be using. No, no question about it. No question about it. Yes, it makes the contractor's life easier, but I love that. that to me, that's a sexy level, machine level. Um, and um, that, and also the, the traffic HD, the, uh, the, uh, the, the matte finish, the low, low sheen is to me is stunning. Stunning. Yeah. Um, you put that on a herringbone floor, man, and that's to me as good as it gets. You know what I don't think we talk about enough that I've really been nailing at the schools is the traffic anti-slip. That's just, for a contractor, that's money in his pocket. You know, those are one of the tools that, you know, why are you two bucks higher than the other guy? Well, you know, one of the things that I do here is I have a special finish that I use for stairs and the traffic anti-slip. When you start talking about that and showing that, that's just a product that, like, like I said, it's the, that's just going to add to your reputation in your referral business. Yeah, and and uh, if when I was a contractor, if, same, if somebody even mentioned the word slippery, that there were concerns, an older couple, whatever, there were stairs involved, they were getting anti-slip. That's just the way it was. Yep. And it's such a great, it's such an easy way to upcharge. The final coats, mixing mixing the finish. You want to talk about that real quick? Sure. Um, you know, we recommend the double straining. There's a, there's a way to mix traffic in a very specific way. Uh, one of the things, you know, there's a couple of mistakes that we see people make is dumping this hardener in and not shaking it right away. As soon as you dump that hardener in, you have got to shake it. Actually, before we do that, before we even dump the hardener in, let me backtrack a little bit. First thing we want to do is give that a good shake for about 45 seconds. After you've shaken it for 45 seconds, we're going to dump that hardener in. And as, as soon as you dump that hardener in, you want to start shaking again. Give it another good 45 seconds. Don't cap it. Once you're done, let that rest for about five minutes before you put any cap on it. And the other thing, it does come with a strainer, but one of the things that we recommend is, you know, wrapping that strainer with some pantyhose. And double straining it. Good, good contractor is always going to double strain his finish. Well, not only good the good foreign contractors, every every good high end painter you ever see is going to strain their paint, right? Uh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, for the amount of time it takes you to do that, it's just like I said. It's just you know, there's no bolts left in the chamber. You're doing absolutely everything you can do to make that floor look as good as it can. And if the homeowner's there, I let them see things like this. You know, here's you know, here's here's what we're doing. We're, uh, we, you know, we come to the strainer. We're gonna go. We double strain all our finish, and um, um, man, it just shows that the, the the how much you care about their floors, and it makes all the difference in the world. Because again, every little step matters. You know, the the cleaning the job site, taking care of your tools, your applicators, your communication. Uh, you know, every the airflow, the temperature. Every little thing matters, and uh, that separates the, the the good contractors from the contractors that might uh, might run into trouble on jobs at times. You know, you had mentioned traffic HD. That's another money making opportunity. I mean, really, the money is going to be made during the estimate. So when you're talking about the traffic HD, you know, with today's customer, and you know, I know we're baby boomers, but 
the customers today, that GreenGuard certification, and especially with the Traffic HT, where we're GreenGuard Gold, that GreenGuard Gold certification means a, it's a huge amount. And that's the things that you want to be talking about in the estimate. That's one of the reasons that you're going to be two bucks higher than the other guy because of the talking about the GreenGuard Gold and GreenGuard certification. No question. I mean, um, it, for today's customer, they're, they're more savvy and they have more access to the Internet. And again, it's just another, another way to separate yourself from everybody else. Yeah, green is green. You can make some really good money with, you know, being part of that movement. No doubt. So, okay. Wait, now that we got this top coat down, everything is beautiful. We're collecting the check. What's our next step? What's the real longevity of that finish? How are we going to keep it perfect? Yeah. So, you know, again, it's communication and expectations and, and talking to the homeowner. And uh, we're going to we're giving them give them instructions on how to maintain that floor. Uh, we used to give a cleaning kit. Actually, we used to we used to give everybody a, a cleaning kit and also coasters for the furniture. And I built that into the job. But really, the reason was because I didn't want to come back and deal with scratches. You know, hey, Wayne, can we just we scratch this with our chair? Can you come back and fix this? I'd rather just give them culture, build it into the job, tell them how to maintain the floors, show them that, you know, give us a call five years or whatever. We can come back and maybe recoat this floor if it's necessary for high traffic areas, or it's a good way to stay in touch with them. That's the, that, that's the time too. When we're talking to them about the maintenance, that's when we can talk to them about maybe a yearly deep cleaning, making that person a lifetime customer right now. They're in love with you. Your floors look perfect. You're going to teach them how to take care of that floor for the next 10 years. Daily maintenance, maybe a deep cleaning once a year, five, six years down the road to recoat. But what we want to do is build that lifetime customer because if we don't tell them exactly how to take care of that floor, they're going to go to Home Depot or you know wherever and ask somebody how to take care of their floors and not sometimes they're not going to get the right information. You know, we want that customer like I said before, we want to be the guy, you know. So if we're in there once a year doing a deep clean and then five or six years down the road, we do a recoat and then more deep cleans, they're gonna, you're going to be on a first name basis with everybody, you know. You get 20 or 30 of those customers out there, you're going to have 20 or 30 salesmen that you don't have to pay a dime to. Think of the referral business there. You ever been out to a job and... uh and go out to the same job like 20 years later. Uh, we we uh, went to a job, several jobs, when they were just kids, kids crawling around on the floor, not even in school. And then we've gone back to the jobs when they're in, you know, they're in college now. And you were the last guy to do their floors. That's uh, pretty cool. So, Rob, when you talk about all these steps and how important they are, you ever, you ever skipped a step and screwed up? Big time. One time. Never do it again. Long time ago, I was using poly, and we were always abrading in between coats every single day, abrading between coats, abrading between coats. And, you know, one day I was like, I have no idea why I'm abrading in between coats. It makes such a mess and scratches and this and that. So I laid a coat of poly on top of another coat of poly without doing any abrading. And... Came back the next day, and I thought, ah, it's a little rough, so I'm going to abrade this. And as I was abrading that floor, I was shocked 
how quick that it started to peel off. It was almost like, uh, you know, an old sunburn, how your skin starts to peel. Yeah. yeah. And I had that going on at about 700 feet. So, so oh, no. Yeah. So, you know, I buffed a couple hundred feet and my partner's with me, of course. And he's like, what the hell's going on here? Because I had gone back to that job to do the coat by myself. He stayed on the other job. So I cut a little corner. Didn't think anything would happen. We ended up breaking out the sanders, resanding it. and He didn't talk to me for a couple days on that one. All All because I skipped one simple step. Because I thought, I know better than everybody. Nobody can tell me what to do and what I can and can't do. That's the thing about this industry, uh, being in the floor trade, is that everything comes at a high price. I mean, every mistake like that, I mean, it, it, there's you just don't get away with, with shortcuts, man. Not for long. And and we always say that, you know, that's a bad thing about ha- bad habits is they work most of the time. Uh, is that one job that it doesn't work on it, man, you would you would take back every every one of them and do it the right way if you could just get out of this jam. So, yeah, so important, man, every step. You know, I'd love to ask you, you know, what, what happened to you when you skipped a step or something like that, but I'm pretty sure that there's really nothing there, is there? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Come, come on, on. You, can I, you, you, you couldn't have possibly <laughs> asked me if I've ever skipped a step and, and messed up. Never, right? No, um, I didn't think so. <laughs> I'm trying to think of. Listen, of course. I mean, uh, who's ever? If you've been in this trade at any time at all, you've had to recode a floor, or what have you. Uh, I've really never had any disasters. Maybe a few times we'd have to recode a floor, but honestly, um, you know, and and here, in all fairness, too, we were a small company. It was like six or seven guys at the most guys we've had at any one time. So it's easier to, to, to maybe be in control of, uh, of everything you're doing. All right. So thank you, Rob. I always appreciate the insight. This has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. Please stay tuned for another episode.